frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Did it ever occur to you to try and work for a living? Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Brandon. I'm Lewis. And we're here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. However, it is the first Sunday of the month. So do you know what that means, Lewis? I think I know what that means, Brandon. That's right. You do know what that <laughs> means. It means we have a special guest today. Um, I first met our guest prepping for a film shoot the day before we were scheduled to shoot and then spent the next few days filming, which is kind of the best way to get to know someone or, you know, a filmmaker. Um, our guest is a director and a cinematographer. He's a podcast host of Real Inspectors and the founder of the Broken Lens Film Festival. Congregation, please give a warm welcome to none other than Mr. Mitch Norris. Ooh. Hey, do I say something here? I'm sorry. Um, well, basically, uh, we asked Mitch to pick the film uh, to start us off for Noir Vember. Uh, it is now November. Last week, I mean, last month we did horror films, and this month we're doing Noirs. Um, so that was his only stipulation in picking the film. So what film do you have for us, Mitch? What are we talking about? The film I chose is Thief from 1981. It's directed by Michael Mann and stars James Caan, Tuesday Weld, Willie Nelson, and Jim Belushi. Um, so, yeah, I, I picked this film because... Uh, it's not like I think we talked about this too, Brandon. Like it's not like um, I would I'd say like a stereotypical pick. It's more it's more of a modern thing. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy you know good synthy gritty dark eighties films. Um, yeah. So this was really up my alley. Um. Yeah, man. It was a good yeah. pick. Uh. Okay. And yeah, like you know it's. It's more like when I think of film noir, I automatically think of like old, like 40s and 50s black and white, but sure. it's like still here throughout all of cinema history. Um, yeah. And as you will find out at the end of the episode, um, the film that I picked for next week isn't an old film. So Ooh. Ooh. stay till the end to find out what that is. Um, <laughs> before we get into the show, uh, we. As a film church, just want to say thank you to our congregation and listeners uh, for being here. Um, it means the world to us that you come and listen to us every week and hear us discuss these films. And um, it's nice that there's people out there sharing this experience with us. Um, please give us a follow on all the social medias at Film Church Radio and let us know what you think of the show and um, what you might want us to watch in the future 
Um, you can also find us on our YouTube channel where if you're not on there currently, um, this podcast in particular right now is video. So if you want to see our faces and see the, the video portion of this podcast, go to our YouTube channel at Film Church Radio. Um, normally, at this point, we talk about films that we've been watching for the week. Yeah. But as it is that we have a special guest, we want to get to know him a little bit and ask him a lot of uh, cinematically religious questions. <laughs> Deep, personal. Um, There's a definite theme questions. to the questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. I noticed. <laughs> um, again, thank you so much for being here, Mitch. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. This is fun. Um, I love listening to the podcast anyway, so it's a great honor to be here with you guys. So Yeah, thanks, man. Like, I've been looking forward fine. to this. Yeah, me too, definitely. So uh, the first question I have for you, is what made you convert to the church of film? Oh gosh. Um, so like, I guess I can go back to like my earliest memories of like movies. And, uh, I guess probably my earliest memory is my dad taking me to the video rental store to rent star Wars. Um, so just like, like that bonding experience, um, of like bonding over a film that, you know, my dad obviously thought was really cool and that I should see, um, and getting up to stay, getting to stay up later than usual. Like I got to watch the first two, obviously the, the prequels weren't out at the time. So I watched new hope and, um, empire strikes back, you know, back to back, um, was just a great experience. And I just always remember going to like the video rental store, or blockbuster, like on a Friday night, like, you know, when dad was coming home and, you know, just like that whole experience is just, and transcend it you know yeah. so i've always been in love with with movies and stuff um yeah. so just having the vhs tape and watching movies like you know ghostbusters and indiana jones and rocky yeah. and just getting into all that stuff as a kid was just amazing you know and it was a great way to, to like relate to people too you know yeah. especially as someone who's yeah. more introverted you know like showing someone your favorite film is just um like a form of telepathy almost like you get to say hey this is something that i felt like i want you to feel it and share those feelings so yeah yeah i don't know if that's the answer you're looking for but like yeah for sure as a religious experience (laughs) like i i get what you're talking about yeah man yeah i mean star wars it's interesting like it's cool that you can remember like going and doing that and and watching it for the first time because um, mm-hmm. it feels like I don't remember watching Star Wars for the first time. It just is like I think I just it's always been there. Yeah, I, but like I have older siblings and older cousins and stuff, and like I think they just had it on all the time, and it probably just is like right. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember. I yeah. mean, I was probably a, just right. like two years old or something when I first saw it. So. Well, I was I was the only kid uh, in the house at the time, yeah. so it was very much you know like my dad saying, "Okay, like it's time for you to see this." You yeah. know, it was like a rite of passage <laughs> kind yeah. of thing, yeah. and that experience of like just staying up because you know I had a specific bedtime, so I remember it very clearly because I got to stay up late and it was awesome, and um, you know I'd never seen anything like it you know, yeah. at the time, so yeah. mostly just like cartoons and you yeah. know children's TV shows and like. Uh, it was just like a big you know wake up call like an experience like whoa this is incredible yeah 
my life has yeah. changed forever now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> basically. Awesome. I feel like as a generation, we were super lucky to um, grow up with video stores and be able to to go and kind of just let our imagination run wild in that way. I mean, there's so many films that we've watched for the first time and like the cover of the VHS, I remember, from mm-hmm. Blockbuster, you know, from seeing it on the shelf and being like, what the heck is that? That looks incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a shame that, you know, everything now is just kind of, you don't have that opportunity. Sometimes if I if I close my eyes, I can recreate the smell. <laughs> yeah. So like if I could get that yeah. as a candle, like I would totally buy that. <laughs> that would be amazing. It's oh my a, god. Yeah. I yeah, always it's remember a, it's a magical the, experience that uh I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I always remember that the carpet at the front of the store was always a heck of a lot dirtier than any other part of the carpet. <laughs> like just where the door was, it was like black and then just like blended into the yellow or whatever it was. Right. <laughs> it was so dirty. Or they have those 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 films that people have just returned up front and you're going through them to see if you can find the film you want because it was just recently released, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. They don't have it, then you're out of luck. So yeah. I feel like that's an experience that like younger folks today, they 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 don't know what we're talking about. So, yeah. You, what? You, you went to a store? Netflix was a store? Um, it's a shame. I mean, so if you were to like, if you were showing a film to people on a Sunday, say it was a church. I don't know. Using that metaphor a lot. If you were the guest preacher, what film would you bring with you to be like, hey, this is the this is the pinnacle of my cinema. This is what you know this is what everyone should see that's so tough that's that's like probably one of the hardest questions because it's like what's your favorite movie right you know it's like well yeah there's so many different categories there's there's so many different reasons why um you know i watch films too um so you know like i'm tempted to say like you know the lord of the rings trilogy you know but that's that's Mm -hmm. a long haul that's a that's a trilogy you know that's a that's three different films so that that doesn't really count um, you know, I thought about saying the Big Lebowski simply because I am actually a, a member of the Dude Church, so you know it kind of fits with the whole theme there. Um, yeah, I meant to bring but... that up earlier because you're yeah. uh, you're an ordained yeah. minister in Dude Dudeism. It, right? it, it's super easy to do. All you have to do is go to the website and just order a card, like, <laughs> because you know it's, it's a, the whole religion is about taking it easy, right? So you know it would yeah. be very complicated to do. Um, but um, it's 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 tough to say. I probably this is going to be kind of like a weird choice, but um, I want to say like Drive. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time that I watched that movie, I immediately went to the menu and played it again. Like I was nice. just so like enthralled with the music, and it's a very simple film, but it, mm. it the payoff is great. And um, I think I remember you saying this in the last episode too, Brandon, that like the older that you get the less you care about plot. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, you know, I've mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier before, but, you know, I used to pour over maps of, like, Middle Earth and try to look yeah. Elvish and stuff like that. Whereas, like, now, as I'm older, I care much more about, like, the themes and, and uh, the character development and stuff, and also, like, the style and the visuals. So I think, like, that film for me just, like, perfectly encapsulates why I want to make movies. You know, it's just kind of like a perfect little film with a great soundtrack um and it's super stylish um, yeah so probably probably that <laughs> yeah that's a film so. that um i have been thinking a lot about since watching thief 
So we'll probably yeah talk about yeah, it it's, some more uh, in a little bit. But it's in the same vein. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have some things to say about that too. But yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, so what does film heaven look like if there is such a thing for you? You know, if like there was a version of heaven that would just be the perfect film heaven. I feel like that's really vague, but I'll try to answer. <laughs> I can't. Um, Maybe you don't believe you know, in film um, heaven. That's okay. Yeah, no, like I'm a, I'm, what would you call that? Like a film atheist? I don't know. I'm going <laughs> with this theme of the church. Um, but like, I would have to say probably that, um, and this is kind of like abstract, I guess, but like just a giant premiere night, you know, like if you could bottle up that feeling of anticipation of like waiting for a film for years and it's finally that night, um, you know, before, you know, ticket pre-sales on, you know, apps and stuff, you'd have to actually have to go and wait in line and stuff. And, um, just that anticipation, like if you could bottle that up and it was just that every single day, like all the time, uh, I feel like that's what, what film heaven would be something similar to that. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's kind of really abstract stuff. Probably not the answer you're looking for. It's still, I mean, it's like when you, I mean, anybody that's a film lover, you know, when you, uh, that feeling. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think people understand it. And have been there. Because yeah. Brandon and I, we went to see the last Star Wars together and we had that that feeling before we walked into the cinema. Um, well, it see, did I not had last the... very long. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> I had that feeling before I walked into the cinema for um, Force Awakens. Um, mm. By the time we got to Rise of Skywalker, I remember me and my friend were just sort of like making fun of it at that point, just like laughing, like, let's get this over with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But definitely before Force Awakens, like, there hasn't been a Star Wars for so long. Like, it's going to be amazing. And, um, like, going back to Star Wars, I know I've already talked about it, yeah. but I was, like, right on the cusp, like, right at the right age, like, before, right before the prequels came out, that I got to see the originals before there were prequels. Yeah. So I remember that anticipation and excitement that not just I was having, but, like, my family was having, too. Like, oh, this is yeah. going to be great. Like, there's a new Star Wars. And, like, we were really into this when we were younger and stuff. Um so yeah, just that that feeling of anticipation is really magical to me. So like, yeah. if I could feel like that all the time. I feel like it would be heaven. Like just constantly excited to be yeah. seeing a film, you know, yeah. and without a... the letdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a few uh, films that um, like I love the trailers for, and then I'll and then I find out that the movie is terrible, and I just won't watch the movie. I'll just keep yeah. the trailer to just be like. That looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And there, there are some films that are the opposite of that, too. Like, the trailer is really bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. It does a poor job of, like, advertising the film properly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think, actually, Drive was one of those films, if I remember correctly. Like, mm. the trailer is just very, I don't know. Getting, Didn't I, sell it well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you would, um, if you were going to officiate a wedding and you had to show a film... <laughs> that like encapsulates what love means <laughs> what film would you show marriage story no i'm just kidding no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of my favorites uh, yeah no, I mean... that's that's a joke uh, i'm not serious um <laughs> actually i i did um do some thinking about this question uh so um actually my answer is shrek <laughs> you know it's it's a it's a great love story it's about yeah. finding your true soulmate reevaluating your expectations you know and like the message is that 
the fairy tale love does exist, even if you may not be that Prince Charming or the princess, you know, like you can still make the fairy tale stuff work. So like, yeah. I mean, it's heartwarming. I think it's a, I think it's a great choice for a wedding. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, and people would love it too. You know. Yeah, it would be fun. It wouldn't be marriage story. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. You can show that the morning after when everyone's had a bit too yeah. much. This is what could happen, okay? Just just appreciate each just other. Just as a warning to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do this. No. That's your um So who are your film gods, or maybe there's just one film god? Oh gosh, there there are probably several. Right. Yeah. Um so, you know, this is probably cliche, but, you know, like, I love everything Wes Anderson does. You know, I love that he's an art tour, that he doesn't compromise his vision. I love the way um, he composes his shots and just doesn't compromise at all. Um, but uh, also, I know you have this in common, too. Uh, Peter Jackson is a yes. huge inspiration to me. Um, yeah. By the way, love that episode about Dead Alive. Um, yeah, it was a good one. He he's he's great because, um, you know, again, it's an example of someone that I feel like didn't compromise their vision with Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, he was told he could only make one film or two films, you know, and he just decided he was going to make it all at once, you know, and film it in his home country. And, you know, like you, you guys talked a little bit about his background, too, but like basically just like garage tactics, like just very he comes from a very simple, you know, start humble beginnings um and also um you know kevin smith comes from those kind of humble beginnings too like selling his comic book collection to to raise the money to make clerks and stuff and um so it's 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 really those guys and guys like that who i feel like are so passionate you know about the art that they don't compromise their vision you know like even if the odds are against you so yeah 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 for sure that that's kind of that the same way for me. A lot of them are, um, yeah, I, I like love directors' first films, you know, yeah. and and not even the ones that's like the the one that because uh, a lot of times a, a filmmaker will say it's like their first film, but then there's like something before that that's like right. even better. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel I feel like there's a lot of those with directors like uh, like Quentin Tarantino is like my first film is Reservoir Dogs, but you know, there's my best friend's birthday that you birthday, can find yeah. like 40 minutes of on YouTube. And I think it's like hilarious. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's um, like Wes Anderson getting back to him. There's Bottle Rocket. And then there's like a shorter yeah. version of Bottle Rocket, like his the, the original Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Know, which is great, too. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. It's, it's always encouraging as a filmmaker to see those humble beginnings and see like what yeah. they did with what they had. Yeah, it's like that feeling of like they have to get something. You have to get so, you have to get it out out of you. You know, like you just have to make it, and you know what it's going to be like if you're given the correct resources and enough time to do it the way that you see fit. It's going to turn out great. And like, you know, even if people don't quite believe in you at first, you know, just seeing it through and, and accomplishing it. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, know? yeah, man. Awesome. That's great. Awesome. Love that answer. I feel like the last question we had, you kind of already answered. Yeah. So I want to throw you like a, a curveball, a double barreled curveball. Um, what area of film are you most interested in? And the, the, the second part to that question is if, is there a certain um, like 
period or maybe a country or something that you're interested in kind of discovering more about or you're just kind of watching a lot of films from that era period place at the moment you know seems tough to kind of <laughs> ask like both yeah. questions at the same time so let's just start with the first one like what what parts of like films are you most interested in i know you kind of already said about like character development and stuff but is the character development definitely yeah definitely style um yeah so like i i do enjoy writing um but i think i enjoy being behind the camera even more because it's like the writing is like fuel for that so like i've been really like analyzing shots lately and how they're composed and like yeah trying to discover like what a, like develop a style i guess you could say um so for me right now like watching films is basically like going to school you know or church if you will yeah. um just like it's it's so like i'm really interested in like signature trademarks of like directors and why they stand out and why why it worked for them and like curious as to what mine are you know because like i haven't I feel like I haven't developed enough of a body of work to really determine like what my style is. So I'm still kind of like finding, finding that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the second part to your question was what again? (laughs) Yeah. It was like, if you're like, what part of either film history or, you know, is there any kind of country or decade or anything that you're interested in kind of, watching more films from you know because i know for me it changes all the time it 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 changes all the time for me as well like i'm a huge fan of fantasy i think i already touched on that a little bit with star wars and lord of the rings like i like the idea of transporting uh or being transported into a completely different uh world um lately i've been really interested in like uh like gangster films and stuff like Mm -hmm. like uh you know uh goodfellas and casino like I've, i've watched a lot of sopranos too and like the idea of of um these somewhat likable people somewhat just being also terrible at the same time and like the the character studies of that like the the character developments of these terrible people that you feel remorse for you know or, yeah. or empathetic towards um and sort of what allures them to like the criminal lifestyle i find really fascinating um lately especially so i've been watching a lot of stuff like that but kind of like you it, it, it changes in very yeah yeah i just need a podcast to mention someone and it's like well that's it for the next month yeah <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be my life right. so. <laughs> down the rabbit hole always well cool i feel like we know you a little bit better mitch thank yeah. you for being interrogated by us of yeah. course, happy to happy You're to now ordained into the film church radio priesthood. One of us, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but now, folks, it is time for our feature presentation. Tonight, his take-home pay is four hundred and ten thousand, tax-free. Frank is an expert professional safecracker specialized in high-profile diamond heists. He plans to use his ill-gotten income to retire from crime and build a nice life for himself complete with a home, wife, and kids. To accelerate the process, he signs on with a top gangster for a big score. 
amazing. This is Thief 1981, everyone. Um, great pick, Mitch. Let me just say that first off. <laughs> uh, this is a film that I added to my list um, right after James Kahn passed a few months mm. ago. May yeah. he rest in peace in film heaven. Yeah. Um, so I think what we should do is kind of just go around and maybe talk about our knowledge of this film prior to watching it. Cause I think this is the first time for all of us. Um, yeah. and then also, um, you know, our knowledge or just our relationship or film history with, uh, James Kahn and Michael Mann as a filmmaker and actor. Um, so Mitch, why did you pick this film and, and what, yeah. What, 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 uh, Michael Mann films had you seen and Khan films had you seen? Honestly, um, so I know Michael Mann from well, my first exposure to Michael Mann was the Miami Vice film, which I know is um, not everyone's first exposure to Michael Mann. Uh, but I saw it a few years ago and I was just like really intrigued uh -huh. um, by his distinct style. Um, and, you know, since then, like I went down the rabbit hole and, you know, I watched Heat. Um, so, uh, you know, also like it has similarities to other things that I'm really into right now. So when you you told me it was Noir Vimber, I was like, well, this is this would be perfect for that, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and also James Caan uh, recently passing like I just uh, I brought this up before, too. But Bottle Rocket, I watched that not too long ago either. And I saw him in that. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the Godfather, um, mm -hmm. you know, so I really wanted to uh, to see more of his films because I don't I don't feel like I've have seen enough. Um, yeah. So this was kind of like dipping my toe into that and just saying, wow, what a great opportunity, because like I haven't seen it. We all haven't seen it. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. How about you, Lewis? Yeah, I mean, it was a film, again, that I hadn't seen before. Um and pretty much the same. I mean, when when James Khan died, I saw a lot of think pieces about it. Um, a lot of people talking about it because it was available on Criterion. So, you know, yeah. the the people involved with Criterion that I follow on Twitter and stuff put out a lot of stuff with links to this film. Um, so that's when I kind of became aware of it. Um, but with James Khan himself, I mean, I can remember before I went to university when I was like 18, my parents the summer before, um, just kind of bought like a lot of films that they thought um, I should watch before I go to film school, which was brilliant. So like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is one. And the other one was Misery. Um, mm. And I can just like Misery for me is just a film that I've watched a lot and I just absolutely love. Yeah. Um, and his performance in that is so, so good. Yeah, I love that. Um, me too. It's, it's incredible. But Michael Mann um, is not someone that I feel like I knew a lot about. I mean, I, I kind of pulled him up on, um, my letterbox to see what I had seen. It was pretty much like Public Enemies, the mm, the Johnny yeah. Depp like gangster film. You know that was it. Yeah. Um, so the same day that I watched Thief, like after it finished, I was like, I've got to watch Heat. So I yeah. put Heat. Like I watched Heat that night and just watched it the whole way through, um, and it was the perfect double bill. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, was that your first time was, seeing Heat? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd nice. Never seen it before. Oh, nice. Um, so I knew bits about it, and obviously now there's like a novel. For the second part, there's like Heat 2 that's just come out that Michael Mann yeah. wrote. 
Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, I put it on hold at the library. I'm like, I've got to read it now. I'm going to see yeah. how this kind of keeps going. Um, so, yeah, I am now a Michael Mann um, fan. Nice. Yeah, I'm also, a Mann fan. <laughs> I feel like after you watch Heat, you can you can see how a lot of films are like yeah. super inspired by that, too. Like, I think Christopher yeah. Nolan even mentioned that that was a huge inspiration for The Dark Knight. And uh, yeah, yeah, I could see obviously that. Obviously, yeah. films like The Town are, you know, very similar mm-hmm. to um, yeah. Oh, a lot to it. So that film had always been kind of like on my radar, but like I recently watched it and feel like I'm going down a Michael Mann rabbit hole now. So yeah, yeah. and yeah. I know that a lot of people, you know, haven't noticed this, but Al Pacino is a very good actor. Yeah. Just, just he, he's not very well known. So if you if you see him in one of those roles, check him out. He's he's pretty great. Yeah, some of his like line delivery and heat is just so off the yeah. wall. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. Insane. It's incredible. That's going to be the you, next Brandon? film I have to watch uh, after yes. we finish our podcast tonight. Um, which I've seen it before, but it's been it's been silver years. So, but yeah, for me, um, I remember as far as Michael Mann goes, uh, this is kind of early in when I was getting into filmmaking and stuff, um, and I was like, I think it's was two. It's either two thousand four or two thousand six. Um, the movie Collateral. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing the trailers for it and being like, "Ooh, Tom Cruise, he's got gray hair. That's interesting." And <laughs> this looks like a fun like action movie. Knew that I was like, my parents were not gonna let me go see it. So it's one of the movies that I um had to sneakily buy, and <laughs> you know, uh, and a, at a GameStop visit, which they wouldn't, they didn't, you know, ID me for rated R movies. So I was able to buy Collateral and uh sneak it into my bedroom like it was drugs and hide it <laughs> under the mattress and <laughs> uh, I have I have similar stories Brandon that's why I'm, like I I, yeah. I understand it's the homeschool life yeah um yeah. but uh yeah like I I I watched the movie and I you know let some friends borrow it too and and we like talked about that movie and uh Jamie Fox is also in it and he's really good but um it was interesting because a lot of the things that struck me about the the experience of watching that movie uh, also were kind of in this movie, Thief. Um, a lot of it. it uh, have you guys seen Collateral? I've I've seen it a long time. I know I, I had yeah. it on DVD in England, so yeah. it was a, a long time ago. Similar situation. I I've seen it uh, a very long time ago, and yeah. I remember bits and pieces from it. But well, not... the the performance that James Con gives, I I guess mainly the 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 action scenes where he's like holding the gun, and you know the way that he moves around in some of those scenes when he's uh when he's when he's uh specifically when he's holding the gun reminded me of Tom Cruise and the way that he performs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, and it's all just so matter of fact. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not like, um, it does things don't get crazy and the camera is just like running and following all this crazy action. It's, it's like, you know, very He's professional. Not Abrams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's all very professional and like matter of fact, but still stylized in like a really cool way. But like, you know, it feels more intense because it's like, um, it's not trying to trick you into getting excited or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I, I, think I read somewhere that Adam Sandler was supposed to play that Tom Cruise character for a little bit. <laughs> and then he had to drop it out. 
I don't. I I like Adam Sandler. I don't think he would have worked. No, um, but I was thinking we could have had three, like three films to add to the like. Hey, he's actually quite a good actor. Yeah, exactly. You know, we've yeah. already got two, so that could have been the third. I mean, if anybody yeah. could have could have pulled it off, I mean, Michael Mann probably could have. But um, yeah, but I mean, there's just there's a coolness to Tom Cruise's character and James Caan's character in these movies that. I just can't imagine Adam Sandler doing, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he could, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that was my intro to, to Michael Mann. And so I kind of, yeah, you know, he, he wasn't ever somebody that I like dove into after that, but I was always like, you know, comparing it to collateral. I saw public enemies probably was the second thing I saw. Wasn't a yeah. big fan of it. I think mainly because it, what took me out of it was the way that I think they use like, new digital cameras and they like changed the frame rate and it just didn't like and and the cinema I saw it I think I yeah that was 2009 so I was working at the cinema when that came out mm-hmm. and we had digital projectors so it was like the fact that it was shot on digital and then digital projectors it looked weird to me like right off the bat and I think it was mainly due to like the frame rate or something yeah and it just made it like it just made it feel fake you didn't feel like a movie anymore it just felt like i could see the cameras following these people around and acting um i need to go back and watch it because i might change my mind about it now you know a lot of things have changed since then and um uh, you know maybe i wouldn't see the same thing anymore and maybe it was just the projector that day or something you know yeah um but then uh i think uh, then i went back and watched heat at some point um because it's a big fan of the godfather and it's like the first time that robert de niro and um <laughs> and uh al pacino are in a movie together mm. uh are in a scene together they were in the godfather mm. part two together but you know he was the first time they had scenes together if you can hear people shouting it's the astros game so <laughs> sorry listeners <laughs> um if, if you can hear the like world. jingling every once in a while, it's my dog walking around playing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just so happens we're in the World Series right now, and there's people <laughs> over watching the the game. So, <laughs> um, that's what that was. But uh, it's not commentary to what I'm saying. Anyway, <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so and I've never seen anything this early of James Con. I mean, not James Con, but uh, Michael Mann. Michael Mann. Like, it, what's interesting to me about Thief is how distinct Michael Mann's style is already. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like all those things that you could see in Collateral and Heat, and you know, anything else is like it's already there. And this is supposedly his like directorial like feature film debut though he did like a tv movie i guess before this um but uh but as far as james con goes i think maybe the first time i remember seeing him in anything was elf uh in 2003 plays the dad (laughs) which he's great in you know and that came out when i was like 13 so it was like you know the you know what i would be introduced to him as um and then uh eventually going back and watching the godfather which was another film that i had to like sneak and uh <laughs> you know it was just like blown away by him mm-hmm. in that and um what else um 
there's a there's a Francis Ford Coppola movie, The Rain People, um, that he's really good in. Uh, it's not my favorite Coppola movie, but um, it's like pre The Godfather, um, and he's like his performance in that is awesome. Um, but this Thief might be my favorite thing of him. Uh, yeah, and you you might have that in common with James Caan himself because he mentioned that this film is is one of the films that he's most proud of. Yeah, which yeah. is cool to see. Yeah. Um and and the diner scene in particular, right? That yeah. like extended dialogue scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um it's a good showcase. Yeah, so let's get into the movie, like the the overall movie itself. Like I think um for me it was uh it was very um i don't know we like there's a lot of these like noir crime drama thrillers out there right like you mentioned some of them earlier um like goodfellas and the godfather and i mean we we just did a an episode on once upon, upon a time in america recently and um kind of the thing the thing about and you also mentioned, I think, Mitch, like those stories being about like, you know, criminals that are terrible people, but you also kind of like them or whatever. Mm-hmm. This kind of felt like that, but it almost felt like uh, James Kahn's character, Frank, was a much more redeemable character. You know, it was almost like, right. like uh, I mean, The Godfather is like one of my favorite movies and it's, it's about... Um, like capitalism and corruption and uh you know this character becoming you know going from good to being corrupt um and uh out of like duty and all this stuff but frank is like this character that um you can kind of see that he he's a kind of a good person it almost feels like to me and then the the you know because he got put in the system you know, it's like capitalism and corporate America and the system, you know, the system of the government or whatever kind of corrupted him in a way. Yeah, the industrial he, prison complex. Yeah, but he's like, he's he's um, <laughs> uh, trying to, uh, like his motives aren't, like his dream is still just the American dream, right? Like his motives aren't like bad (laughs) you know what i mean does that make sense oh yeah Um, no totally so i mean he felt i guess that's a long way of saying felt like he's a a much more redeemable character than you know somebody like michael corleone or um you know um i can't remember his name and once upon a time in america but uh uh anyway um even though there are obviously some things about his character that are not you know you shouldn't like want to grow up to be this guy or anything uh sure particularly like the scene where he's like uh dragging the girl out of the club and you know kind of forcing her into the car and <laughs> yeah all and of the, that and, stuff and the uh the the colorful racial slurs and stuff yes yeah <laughs> yeah obviously that was one thing when i was watching i was like oh my okay yeah. um but uh, yeah, no, it's like I I totally get what you're saying. He is he is more empathetic, and I think really for me it was um, epitomized in that that extended dialogue scene in the diner, 
Um, because at first I was like, why are, why are we seeing this? Right. Because like you mentioned this too, but Michael Mann is like very matter of fact and he likes to show us, not tell us as much, like just puts his characters in situations and tells us this is what they do. This is who they are because of what they do, you know? And this scene was like very obvious and in your face because it, it was just, you know, mainly dialogue, him mainly discussing his past and like his time in jail and stuff. And by the end of the film, it comes full circle, you know, because he's got the postcard or the photograph with like Okla on it. And like, it's very, it's it's a very clear, like, I wouldn't even say metaphor. It's just very, you know, um, in your face about his goals and his dreams, like you were saying, um, just happiness, basically. And yeah. like near the end, like when he, he like he knows when to quit, but he's he's developed that persona he was talking about that helped him survive like on in the yards, you know, and, yeah. and in prison. And uh, that's that's hard for him to to stop, you know, because like maybe some of the stuff near the end with uh, Leo, you know, could have hand, been handled with a bit more subtlety you know mm-hmm. uh but because he's got that that attitude um you know he's kind of can't escape that you know so like i feel like that was perfectly wrapped up i don't know if, if we want to get into the ending right now um i mean we can yeah or, or later but yeah when he like crumples up the picture you know it's like okay you've at least tried to or reached some of these goals in in some way or like okla for instance is gone now um, you know, and his wife is gone along with the kid and everything. And like, all he has left is vengeance, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, I feel like it was a great return to that scene, you know, like that scene was very important. Um, and the way that it, it wrapped up was, was great because like the, the, the last shot is quite literally him just walking away from it all, Yeah, you know, which I, I loved everything about it. So, and the music, yeah. 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 How about you, Lewis? I'm I'm super surprised um, that you think that the character <laughs> is like redeemable and like a good character. I think I mean I, I, mean, like, I think I'm, I'm comparing him to the, some of these other characters. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I mean, my first note when I was ro- watching this film is James Khan is so cool. Like, there's just <laughs> no escaping it. He's just incredibly, just yeah. like he's cool. You know, yeah. he's the epitome of the word. But as the film progressed, I was like, I started to like his character less and less mm. and less and less yeah. and less until right at the end, I was like, man, not that I hope he dies, but I was like, I think it would be a fitting end if he dies. Right. <laughs> like That's yeah. kind of where I think this is going to go. Um, and it's probably just me projecting, you know, what we've seen in America for the past eight years or whatever mm. yeah. is that just these these men being like, hey, I'm entitled to this, so I'm going to take it which is exactly what he does the whole way through and i know that that is you know watching this you know that was not the purpose i'm sure of when they were making this film it was just a man that like he's simple he knows what he wants you know and he's gonna he's gonna get it um but the fact that they're like hey i can get you a kid you want a kid i got you a kid that was real unsettling to me and at the end he was like where's the rest of my money i'm gonna kill you if you don't have my money (laughs) you know and it's just that very kind of no, I'm getting exactly what I want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I love the film, but I think that the anti, I think he is an anti-hero. I don't think that oh, we're yeah. supposed to oh, definitely. Like, yeah. like him very much. Um, but that's fine. You know, some yeah. of the best 
some of the best people are anti-heroes. Well, see, um, I think that's the that's kind of the what these movies kind of do is they you're not supposed to like them, but then they're so yeah. cool that you're yeah. just like, mm. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know there was definite things in there that there were like they were commenting on the fact they had been in prison since a young age. You know, he misspelled male, the gender yeah. male, and yeah. you know, spelled yeah mailman and stuff like that these little hints that like he has been let down by the system you know he yeah. hasn't had an education because he was arrested at a young age and stuff like that um but i think that for us to for him to be likable they, they should have lent into that just a little bit more and been like he he's not this is not him you know this is the the you this is the world he's grown up in and i guess we get to see that a little bit with um Oakley. And yeah. his relationship with him, you know, he's very caring. And that's the only time that he doesn't care about money. Um, if you notice, like, it's $6,000, I think, to for the lawyer. Mm-hmm. And he gives him 10 And he's like, I'll keep the change. You know, it's the only time in the film that he doesn't care how much money is being exchanged. Yeah. Um, and I like those scenes. Between him and Uncle were the best scenes in the film for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 What did also... y'all think about? <laughs> I think you were about to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was just going to say what do you think about willie nelson yeah i thought he was great um yeah i'm not really aware of many other films that willie nelson is is in zoolander Um, 2 (laughs) i don't think i caught that one i caught the first one but uh i don't think zoolander 2 was uh on my watch list um maybe it should be if willie nelson is in it but um yeah what an interesting choice um yeah yeah, for a film like that too. So I don't, I don't know Brendan or or Lewis um, if there's like some trivia behind that, like or if if Michael Mann is like friends with him or something. Do you do you know why he was cast for this role? Or I didn't find anything, but I also no. didn't like hardcore research that question. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it might have just been like a role that he he wrote for him in his mind. He's like, yeah, this is like. Yeah. I see this guy as Willie Nelson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's one part where um, she calls him an old man, and I had to look up like how old Willie Nelson was at the time that it was filmed. And I was like, was he was he old in '81 too? Like he's just been old forever. Or like, yeah. How old is this? Guy? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, uh, yeah. How but, old uh, was he? Was he like? I think he's about to be I, ninety. Yeah, so. I think he was like fifty something. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But it's the perfect role for him. I mean, it's like it is a stereotypical role in terms of like the older, wiser, you know, jailbird that's kind of a father figure to to people, you know. Yeah. But like, you want that person to be Willie Nelson, yeah. you know. He's he just plays it so well. Um, yeah. yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's awesome. And then he goes on to name their kid. Yeah, Andrew. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that one scene, it's like funny because they don't even have a name for the kid. Like they tell the waiter, yeah. it's like, oh, the kid doesn't have a name yet. Like, <laughs> yeah. we don't, we don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, just in terms of like the character of Frank, like one of the things that I, I watched this movie with my brother-in-law and one of the things that he mentioned, like just the differences between like his character and like... um. Gosh, I can't think of these characters' names, but uh, in Goodfellas and and in The Godfather, like the character is hiding all of these things from their wives, 
You know, it's like they're living these double lives or whatever, and they're like, you know, they have their gangster life and then they have their real life, but with, you know, his relationship with, um, I guess her name is Jesse, uh, Tuesday Weld. Um, yeah. He's like upfront. He just lays it all out in that scene, in that diner scene where he's like, here's my dream, here's my life, you know, um, right. this is what it's going to be like. And, you know, he doesn't like try to hide it. Yeah. Um, which is, I don't know if, I mean, I've probably seen that before in other film, you know, the crime films, yeah. but, you know. I think I think for those scenes, the lighting especially is genius. You know, most mm-hmm. of the scenes that we get of him, it's at night, it's rainy, it's outside, you know, it's kind of a bit blurry. It's like we're looking through kind of like a windshield, like a windswept uh, yeah. windshield. Um, but those scenes, like in the hospital and then in the cafe, it's like, it's like bright neon light. Yeah. You know, it's like he can't, it's like he's being vulnerable. He's kind of yeah. being seen for the first time. And I thought there was, you know, whenever we got into like a really well lit room, I was like, okay, we're going to find out more about this character now. Yeah. Um, and that seemed to be like a theme throughout the whole film. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that hospital scene, was it there? Uh, uh, did he like stare down one of the actors at one point? Yeah, the doctor in that scene, whenever the doctor is like, uh, yeah, he's like, sorry, he's he's died. Apparently, they James Con kind of improvised, and that whole when he's just like stares at him, and he like looks back, and he like stares at him again. The doc, like the actor, didn't know he was what was really going on, so his reaction is kind of like real. I remember yeah. that shot sticking out to me too because of the way it's framed too. It's just like such a dirty frame. It was like great. Yeah. Everything about it. Yeah. And you don't, I mean, it, you can kind of see it in James Conn's eyes. Like you don't know if he's like about to punch the doctor. Yeah. Or which is what I thought might happen. Yeah. 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 And, um, but yeah. is it also a racial thing? Well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. If, if the character is, is racist, then possibly. Yeah. But yeah, it sort of gave me like uh like dirty hairy vibes with the the racial undertones there. It's like it's it's kind of icky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit. yeah. That's they were the just kind yeah. of sprinkled throughout, and and especially like in the scene the the scene with um Leo at the end. Yeah, Robert Prosky when he, yeah like he's like such like a this nice guy, and there's kind of like a you know a. a just juxtaposition i guess with the two you know you've got okla you know his one father Mm -hmm. figure from like the prison and then you got leo who even says like when he first meets him like i'm gonna be your father or whatever um did you know it's just quickly i don't want to like break your point but in the next scene when they're in the rooftop they're dressed the same frank and leo like they're both wearing yellow button-ups and, I didn't the, and that. Leo's got like um, aviator like reading glasses, mm. and Frank's got aviator sunglasses on. Oh, uh, nice! When they're on top of the rooftops, so they just look exactly the same. Yeah. And I was like, "What? Why?" And I guess it's that. <laughs> I guess it's that. Like he's attaching himself to this new father figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then it's like, yeah, and this was apparently Robert Prosky's like film debut. Um, and wow that scene yeah that scene just is so ugly man like yeah, yeah it's such a villainous speech it's like yeah. so over the top and, and then the like, way that they yeah. shoot it like he shoots it 
like with the camera pointing straight up back yeah. you know upside, upside down. down like so his head yeah. is like coming up down from the top of the frame you know so his head's upside down and then it's also like out of focus but you yeah, it yeah. like doesn't matter like that performance is just like seeping through and he's just like such an ugly like and i don't mean in terms of looks i just mean in terms of like his his character, character. Is an ugly yeah. person you know can yeah. we also talk about that that death scene <laughs> um jim belushi or yeah, uh, well, Barry. there's that one, but also Prosky's death scene as well. Like, oh, oh yeah, God, it's so like over the top and dramatic. Yeah, um, it was, that is one one thing about the film is like the music and like some of the death scenes and stuff were like it. It gave me that '80s cheese. Yeah, that mm-hmm. I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's like it's it's weird because it's like when I you know when I was a kid, I th- you know did think stuff like that was super cheesy, you know, especially like the music part of it. But now it's like, it just seems so cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, especially the music is like, it's almost like, um, I don't know. You can't do a eighties movie movie better than, you know, a movie that was actually made in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it did remind me of drive a lot because of the, you know, the music and the driving at night scenes and stuff like that. That's where yeah. that was coming through and just like the cool collected, which I haven't seen drive since it came out. So it's just, you know, from there's that one shot in particular close to the end. I think it's like after he leaves Leo after threatening him where the camera is like on the hood of the car. Yes. Yeah. And the, the neon lights are just like cascading over the surface of it. Yeah. And I just love, I, I love that shot. For sure, yeah. with the music as well, like the synth, the the neon lights. It's just, yeah. Also, Drive, like I said, is like one of my favorite movies. So there are a lot of similarities to it. I feel like it's it's a similar character where like you feel like you're supposed to root for this guy, but he also does terrible things. Yeah. Um, and also sort of like an ambiguous ending as well. Yeah. Um, where he kind of like loses the girl loses the, the kid like has his revenge eventually on the villain and um you know nearly escapes death so it's there are a lot of similarities there for sure so you know that may have been a subconscious thing in picking this movie too but uh, yeah 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 for sure um yeah i mean there's so many shots in this movie that just that kind of blew me away i mean right off the bat there's the shot um, when he's drilling into the safe, and then the camera goes into the hole. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. Like, you know, nowadays you you see stuff like that done with CGI all the time, where they have like these new long lenses that they can you know actually put in tiny little spaces, um, which it might be what they did for that shot. But right off the bat, it's like, wow, this is yeah, super cool the way that it's right. shot. And yeah. I looked up um, some stuff about the making of the film as well, and they actually like used real tools and everything too. One, yeah. one occasion, at least, like gave James Con the journal. He's like, "All right, break into the safe." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, let me figure yeah. out how to do this. Um, and I think that comes across in the film too, is like being really authentic, um, especially like the last um, heist. I think it was. It's like a very extended scene. Well, like also the opening too, but it's just a lot of like extended scenes of breaking into the safe but by the end of it you sort of like feel like you've gone through it as well like there's that sense of satisfaction almost yeah there. yeah um so it's it's interesting yeah. i think that adds to 
um, his character a little bit and why he's so dependent on getting the money that he was promised because we see the process he has to go through to earn that money. And it's not easy. I mean, he's kind of, he's had to wait a week to get this particular, you know, piece that he needs to blow open the doors and stuff like that, you know, and he also has to try it out, make sure it works, kind of getting unnoticed, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think that the the mechanics behind how he really breaks in is is to show us, you know, hey, he's not, this isn't, you know, a stethoscope up to the safe turn in. Oh, got it. You know, this is like proper safe breaking and entering kind of stuff. This isn't bottle rocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Open the safe, please. <laughs> um yeah, for sure. Like that that scene, um that that last high scene when they, they finally get in the safe and stuff. And then Jim Belushi is in there getting the diamonds and uh Frank grabs the the chair and takes a seat and like pulls out a cigarette and takes a smoke and his face mm-hmm. is all dirty yeah. and it and the camera is just kind of slowly sitting on him and the music starts up and then it like cuts to the beach scene yeah it's kind of like this false yeah. ending it's like you know okay yeah. well this is the ending that he wants and it 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 gives it to us for a, a small amount of time before yeah. ripping it away yeah um, yeah yeah, I think I think that's kind of like what Lewis was saying that it it uh you see the work that he put into it and you kind of see him get the satisfaction and then the habit taken away then you're kind of then yeah, you're rooting for him at the end when he goes and you know burns all the colors and blues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I don't know why all of that was necessary is like it was, if so it was cool, that though. easy to kill the guys. Couldn't you just yeah. have killed the guys and then yeah. you know, kept your was... house. It was the cooler option. Yeah. <laughs> Total anarchy. Yeah. Isn't he just trying to like burn everything that he was? Isn't this like his start again? No. I mean, possibly. Like, this I mean, was a cover for me. So I'm going to get rid of it all. And that's, you know, I think that that is very heavy handed in terms of like, he's blowing up every single car that's on the lot. It's like, he doesn't need to do that. You could have just seen him, you know throwing the keys <laughs> yeah right they he, he had to get in like into the lot or he didn't need to go and blow up the bar which is very extreme i was yeah. like who's in there <laughs> is leo in there like why is he blowing that up why is that exploded i don't know yeah i mean yeah i mean i assumed that the bar was owned by leo or something right but yeah i think so yeah um but there apparently there is some debate between Michael Mann and James Kahn as to what happens to Frank after he walks down the street at the end. Um, Mann doesn't have an optimistic view of what happens to Frank, even going so far as saying, where is he going? Nowhere. Uh, however, yeah. Kahn thinks that a man with Frank's determination would get everything he lost back no matter what. Which that's kind of what I assumed was that, you know, after... You see him walk away. He just goes to wherever um, his wife is and kid is, yeah. and it's like, all right, we're just gonna start over. Yeah, I don't, I don't think <laughs> after that all work, that, though. Yeah, after after I, the way he sent her away, I think that like if he found his wife and um, I guess child now, um, like after a while, he'd probably he'd just get bored. Like it's not, you know, he's kind of envisioned that this is going to be the perfect life for him. I don't think it is. I don't think 
yeah. it's you know it's never as good as you think um yeah. and i think that his aggression would start coming out i don't think it would end happily yeah, yeah it was all about the chase basically you know yeah. the thrill chase and once once you get a taste of it it's like what's next you yeah know? So, i mean yeah. the title is thief he is a thief yeah you that's know? yeah that's kind of what I got from it too. Like he literally crumples up his hopes and dreams. Yeah, I know <laughs> that's the yeah. car and he's like, okay, something else. So like the impression that I got from it is that he was like moving on to something else, you know, like, yeah. because the way he sent um, her off was very abrupt, you know, but like, also like you were saying, Lewis, like he, he takes what he wants. So, you know, I could also see that too. Like, he's just like, all right, I'm back. I'm taking you back, yeah. you know, like just that personality, but that's not really what I got from it. I got from it that like he's he, he has a fresh start, you know. So he's basically yeah. like the it's like rising from the the flames and ashes of everything yeah. he's left in his wake. <laughs> what about this idea? What if he did die? What if the whole like you know pulling the shirt off and seeing that there was a bulletproof vest was just you know his last thoughts in the moment? You know, as as his as he was dying laying there in the grass was it like ah what if i actually actually had like a bulletproof vest on and i just got up and walked away yeah um but he's actually like dead and he's walking to you know the afterlife i thought that's what okla's death was gonna be like foreshadowing you know once you get out it's just death not to put not to make it sound too morbid but as soon as okla's out of prison he dies and yeah. I thought, you know, this might be foreshadowing for um, when Frank finally gets free of this, you know, cut, he's going to die. So when he went to the house, I was like, it's going to end with him being the last one alive, but he's going to die. Yeah. So when he starts walking away, I was like, oh, uh, okay. You know, fair, that's that's not what I expected to happen at all, Yeah. which is, is good. So, yeah. What about you, Mitch? Um. Yeah, no, I, I was kind of like on track with you. I thought that he was going to die. Um, yeah. I thought that he was going to die for sure. Um, because honestly, like I'm kind of with you. Like, I feel like the decisions that he's made and the things that he's done, like he not saying that he deserves it. Um, but it was like, once he, once he chooses to, once he chooses just pure vengeance, uh, you know, like I expected him to go out, um, you know, with a bang or something. Um, so I guess it gets points for like subverting expectations there. Yeah um in that way um also of course he could have just been shot and decided to walk off and then shortly after he just tr- kills over and drops dead like i don't know but um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. if the shot had just gone on for a few more seconds it would have been like oh yeah i definitely <laughs> enjoy films where it's like like there's that there's that subversion there's like the the false ending sort of thing where it's like well you know it can't be that simple sort of thing where yeah it keeps you on the edge of your seat in a way that's like like you said earlier it's not like promising like a big action set piece but it's like carrying you along um you know at least subconsciously in a way where you're like this can't be that simple like you you expect more um so i did enjoy that because i wasn't quite sure how it was all going to wrap up, you know? So I definitely found that exciting. So, yeah. And I think that's the genius of this film is that it gives you both endings, right? Like, like Brandon was saying, you know, you watch and you're like, Oh, he's free. He did it. He's out. And then if you sit and think about it for a minute, you're like, but for what? Like what else? Like what's he going to now? You know, is his wife and his child have left. He doesn't know where they've gone. Like, 
he knows where they've gone initially, but you know, they've probably moved on by now. And like, what's he going to? You know, so yeah. it gives you the kind of like the happy ending, quote unquote, and then the the like sadder, more kind of realist ending. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's what gives it like that true dark noir flair, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what do you guys think of um Jim Belushi? Thought it was great. I was so disappointed when um uh, when Barry died, his character. Yeah, I was, know. Uh, yeah. I felt it was so unnecessary. Barry yeah. didn't need to be there. Oh, Barry. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. He was so Death happy. According to Jim. Yeah, he was. Just running and frolicking. and. <laughs> He's the like the perfect epitome of like, you got it, boss. You know, like the yeah, wisecracking. Yeah. You know, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. And his little wife as well. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. so happy. Yeah. 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 Nothing but joy. Oh, Barry. I don't think you guys heard me, but I said death according to Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so he's related to um, the other Belushi, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. John Belushi, right? Yeah. For, and um, did he die around this time? Yeah, I mean, it, it had to have been. It had to have been uh, soon after this. Apparently, he, um, John Belushi, did visit this set quite a bit. Okay, and and yeah. they would hang out, and they would go to a bar that they that they. I, I guess uh, the Blues Brothers wasn't out yet, right? Because it says they went to a bar that they either used for Blues Brothers, or they ended up they either already used it or ended up using it. So uh, Blues afterwards. Brothers came out. 1980, so the year before, so So probably while they were filming it, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he died in 82, so the year after, oh wow, so yeah, yeah. So I think he's, I mean, I think he's, I think that Jim Belushi is really, really good in this film, Mm -hmm. yeah, he plays that supporting character really well, and he never kind of. I don't know. It's always authentic. Everything in this film felt authentic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's also interesting, too, because I feel like we didn't get much backstory for his character. Yeah. But then again, that's something with Michael Mann. It's like, it's very straightforward. It's very matter of fact. Um, but you feel like you know just enough information about the characters to to understand who they are. Yeah. Uh, and like part of the, the buildup um is discovering like what they what they're actually going to do you know yeah um, so i think he's he's good at not revealing too much about a character but like also letting you know exactly who they are in the moment you know yeah so, i think he was very good in that role so also yeah, it was an interesting role to see him in it's an interesting yeah. role to see all all of these these people in actually like yeah and then, yeah. yeah yeah and tuesday weld she was um uh, Once upon a time in America, right? She was, yeah, yeah, and I think she's pretty fam- famous for turning down every big role that she got. In terms of, I think she was offered like Bonnie and Clyde, and she turned it down. Um, and she was offered like a handful of other like like star maker, you know, vehicles for for women and stuff, and she just turned them all down. Wow, she was just not interested at all. Um, I think, and also she was like an alcoholic at the age of ten. Ooh. So, oh. 
Yeah, she's got a she's got a very checkered past. Um, wow. Yeah, because she looks like, you know, both James Caan and Tuesday World look like forties in this film, and I know they probably are. You know, I know they're supposed to be a bit older, but they're not like you know the Bonnie and Clyde. You know, it's kind of an older generation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is interesting. It's, it's a bit different to what we've seen before, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What what other films ha- has she been in? Because I I don't. Um, yeah, well, so she was in Once Upon a Time in America, right? Um, which is which is her up. which is her biggest film. Uh, well, biggest film credited on IMDb. I see. Um, okay, mm-hmm. but uh, and then the second one is Thief. Um, she was also in Falling Down, which I've seen. Um, with, yeah. Um, uh, Michael Douglas. Yeah, is Michael that... Douglas. Ah, uh, yes, um, I remember that film. And then Play It As It Lays is her her fourth thing on IMDb okay. right now anyway. Mm. But um yeah, yeah, kind of bit parts, you know, mm-hmm. in like a lot of stuff. Or like not super well known, you know, probably missed the missed the big ones and then um signed on for the ones that didn't do as well, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um and I, I don't think I've actually seen Jim Belushi in any in any films. Of course, I've seen Life According to Jim a few times, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every once in a while when that was on. Here it is. So some of the films that well turned down: Bonnie and Clyde, Rosemary's Baby, True Gr- True Grit, uh, Cactus Flower, and Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Wow. And are these the like? Was True Grit the old one or the new mm-hmm. one? The old one, so John Wayne wow. when she was she was going to play the the younger girl in that. That's so wild. Yeah, all these films that you know people went on to get nominated for Academy Awards for. Yeah, and she turned them down. Yeah, um, interesting. But she is fantastic in this. I think. I think she's. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you know, she plays that role really well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely. Is there? Anything else about this film you guys want to talk about? I think for me, it's uh, it's mainly just. I think the thing that I'm taking away from this film mostly is like the camera work and mm. the and the the style of Michael Mann yeah. just being so distinct. I mean, James Caan, of course, is is incredible, and if you know, if I'm ever talking about him with anyone, I would of course recommend this movie. Um, and he is obviously a big standout, but uh, I just can't get over the cinematography and camera work, yeah. like the just right. the the world that Michael Mann was able to create so easily, and and his style that's just so distinct right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, it's the color blue that sticks with me. You know, the whole film just has this blue tint, and it just makes you feel like it's just melancholy, you know, for this character to kind of, to just be wanting to have a normal life, you know, it's tinged with this sadness um, yeah. all the way through. And then when Okla dies, they, they shout through code blue, code blue. And I was uh... like, um, like, just like, he's just so sad, this character, yeah. you know, and like just wanting that normal life. And um, it's, yeah, it's a film that as soon as it finished, if I hadn't, wanted to go and watch heat straight away i would have pressed play again yeah absolutely yeah. that's something i would have never caught like i didn't catch that at all but that's a that's that's a good catch 
Yeah, that's cool. The blue, the cold blue. I wonder if it was like intentional or. I think yeah, maybe it had to have been. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they were. Do they have coats in hospitals for? I assume that they do. Yeah. To get people to move, but all the doctors yeah. watching the movie were just like, "This is so fake." Code blue <laughs> means someone's parts in the disabled spot when they're not disabled. Right. I don't know. I feel like Michael Mann would have researched that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes. So apparently, code blue is respiratory cardiac arrest. Mm. So it is a it is a proper it is a real thing. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Goes deeper and deeper. And deeper. Well, and doesn't uh, well, I mean Willie Nelson, Blue Eyes, Crying in the Rain. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could just take this and analyze it. Like, how many blue references can we find? <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. How many degrees of blue? Yeah. Can even the fires are like blue. They're so hot that even like the flames are blue. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. You could write, like you said, you could write a whole thesis on the color blue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, what about you, Mitch? Anything, any final thoughts or things that, that are you're being left with? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, um, just pretty much everything you guys were saying, too. Like, the cinematography is what, like I said, like the neon and the the framing like the shots were just incredible and um the world building um like i feel like it's just it feels so authentic you know like it feels like um just a slice like you're like you're watching it happen you know it doesn't feel um it doesn't feel fake you know and i think that michael mann's style and everything that came into being with this film is just sort of like lightning in a bottle. Like if it was anybody else, different director, different cast, you know, it could have been not as good. Um, so like, I, I really enjoyed the film. I think that I, I would definitely recommend it to people as well. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm glad that we all got to watch this <laughs> for the first time and experience it together. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Me Thank too. you for bringing it to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, last thing, I just want to say that as, like, as a uh, first feature film, this is the most self-assured piece of work that I've seen a director put out first. It is like mid-career high. You know, mm. this is how good this film. It's kind of you, yeah. you can't believe that that he didn't already have a team that he'd worked on for three or four films before. Yeah. You know, that kind of knew how he worked, that this was the first thing that they put together. It's incredible. Right. Yeah. And it offers a ton of insight into his later work, too. Yeah. yeah um, for sure. Because sure. I remember, like I said, like my, Miami Vice was the first film that I saw by Michael Mann. And I just remember being really thrown off by it. You know, like, what in the hell is this? <laughs> Why did they take Miami Vice and and do this with it? Um, but I was kind of just like enthralled with it. And um I think it's I think going back and watching his first film is um really telling. You know, it's like yeah. you appreciate it more, you appreciate his later work more and you see where where he was trying to go, you know. So yeah. Definitely definitely a great a great study, a film study. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um well for those listening, 
you can find the film. Uh, it's currently streaming on Tubi. Um, and it's also um, became part of the Criterion Collection in 2014. Um, there's a 4K master of it through them. And uh, it is known as Spine Number 691. Yeah. Um, I did the collection myself this week. So. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Well, uh, usually at this part of the show, uh, Lewis and I try to guess what each other rated the film on Letterboxd, but we're going to let Mitch try to guess, and then Somebody we'll guess. guess what Mitch rated it. Uh, so, like, I checked Letterboxd, and I, and I saw that you guys had seen the film. Uh, I didn't see any ratings on there. Yeah, um, we sneaky. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's why we didn't put him. <laughs> We always wait until the show so that we can guess. Um, hmm. From from the general vibe that I got, I'm I'm thinking that Brandon, you you rated it probably higher. Okay. The moons is is gonna be my guess. So I'm gonna guess that Lewis, like you rated this probably like three and a half stars. Okay. And uh, Brandon, I'm gonna guess that you rated it four. All right. I did um, rate it four. I, I rated it five. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. If I can, like, if I feel the need to press play as soon as it finishes again, it's a five star film. Great. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I was just completely gripped by it. So, yeah. yeah it's brilliant. That's awesome. Now, and you rated it four? I did, yeah. Okay, so I guess correctly. You did, and yes. Yours, not at all. <laughs> I also rated it for Brandon, so. Nice. You're right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think this film could end up being a, a five um, eventually, maybe. I don't know. We'll yeah, see. It is sure. It is a little bit slow, but it's like, um, that's not really a downfall to the movie. You know? Sure. Um, yeah. I'll definitely have to rewatch it at some point. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I may change my rating over time, but as of now, that's where it stands. Well, nice. ladies and gentlemen, uh, folks, we have come to the part of the show where I get to tell you what we're watching next week. Um, so thank you for getting to this part. <laughs> <laughs> if you made it, congratulations. Um, yeah, yeah. so (laughs) I, uh, yeah, as I said at the beginning, I picked a film that is not old. It's not that old. Um, it is a film that used to be my favorite film for a while when I was like, you know, late teenage years. Uh, the film is Sin City from 2005. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I... Robert Rodriguez was, like, one of my first director obsessions. And yeah. just, like, completely obsessed over his filmography and his book, Rebel Without a Crew. And, like, yeah, had a huge influence on me uh, as a young filmmaker. And, yeah, I just loved Sin City so much. And I haven't watched it in a long time. So we'll see cool. if... Uh, if I still feel the same, and I know you've already seen it, Lewis, but yeah, 
Next okay. week is episode 50, if you can believe wow. it. Whoa, I didn't even know. I didn't even yeah. cross my mind. <laughs> it is pretty wild. So I it figured, is. you know, picking a film that was like, you know, kind of a guilty pleasure, used to be yeah. a favorite film. I could talk about Rod- Robert Rodriguez for like four hours. Uh, cool. Would be a good, you know, episode 50 episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see what you pick the next week after that because I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, it's like film noir is so, yeah. it is kind of a, it is kind of specific, but also not, you know, you can kind of. That's like, that's what I was going to say. The top is such a beautiful thing because there's so many elements to it that are, that you can attribute to noir, but it's not, you can't pin it down. Yeah. It's not just one thing. You know, everything has elements of it. Anything can be in a while if it's got one or two things in there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, I will um, definitely be re watching that film as well because it's been years since I've seen it too. So, Sweet. yes. Yeah. Can't awesome. wait to listen to that episode. Yeah, man. Thank you again for being yeah. here. This has been awesome. We'll have you back again. Um, awesome. I hope so. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And you got a high bar for the next film to pick (laughs) it's gonna help you my best (laughs) um well everyone this is the end of the show and again you can find us on all social media platforms at film church radio please go give us a, a follow and um you know we do post cool things on there on on different social channels um so you have reasons to follow all the different ones um and you can also follow uh, me on Letterboxd <laughs> at Selman Scope. And you can follow Lewis at Walker Lewis 3007. And you can find Mitch on Letterboxd at Broken Lens Films. Um, there you can keep up with what we've been watching and see what we rate things throughout the week and um, anticipate, you know, the show and see what's on our watch list and uh, recommend things to us, you know. Um, all of our back episodes of course are streaming on all good podcast platforms Uh, please share it with your friends and let's keep this congregation growing and uh, yeah build this church family up Um, you can also find Mitch on YouTube where you can see some of his work at Broken Lens Films there and he also has a podcast called Real Inspectors Um, you can find him there as well So, the only thing I have left to say is... Lewis, can I get some more cream? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? It's cottage cheese. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. Say your film church prayers, and we'll see you next week. Amen. Amen. Amen.